Hello, and welcome to the Howard Wright Know Your Money podcast. I'm Ashley Smith. And I'm Tom Richards. On the Know Your Money podcast, we talk everything finance, from financial planning tips to how what's going on in the world around you affects the money in your wallet, and most importantly, your financial future. If this podcast helps you, please like and subscribe so we can help as many people as possible moving forwards. In today's episode, we're going to be discussing different ways you can start to save money for you, for your children and grandchildren. We all want our children or grandchildren to have the best start in life. We also want them to have the best start to adulthood they could possibly have. For some, this means making sure that there is a fund available to help with university fees or a deposit for their first home, driving lessons or even their first car. Today's podcast is not as, not as an extensive list of, of options, but looks at some of the most common used options for saving and investing money for your children or grandchildren. These options will have different features in terms of tax savings, limits, accessibility and control. It is important, therefore, that when deciding on which option is right for you, that you seek advice from a professional financial advisor, such as How to Write Financial Planning. So, Ashley, could you start us off? I can. So, usually when parents or grandparents save for their children or grandchildren, it's usually done either in the saver's name, in the children's name or within a trust. The first is in the saver's name, and that's what we're going to be looking at to start. So usually this is done in what we call a collective investment account, or a unit trust, or a general investment account. It's got many names, but it's all the same thing. Now, the collective investment account would usually be held in the name of the person or people that have set it up. So if mom and dad are setting up a policy for their children, the money remains in mom and dad's name. Um, big benefit to that is any money accumulated remains yours in case you can choose what to do with it when to to, 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 to distribute it how much and, and who gets what um, any growth within a collective investment account or unit trust unfortunately will be subject to capital gains tax in the name of whoever holds that contract so again using the example of mom and dad if that money is in mom and dad's name any growth potentially is taxable on them um, each individual does have capital gains allowances of £6,000 per annum before any tax is payable. So if it's again mum and dad, that's £12,000 between them. But over the years as the value hopefully increases, um, that £12,000 potentially isn't a huge uh, allowance that you've got there. Because the money remains within the name of the people or the person that set it up, you retain full access, you retain full control. And for many, that is a big point. Um, when we have conversations with clients, one of the big sort of apprehensions that they have about setting up savings for, for children or grandchildren is I don't necessarily want them to have access at 18 because not all 18 year olds are mature enough and financially literate enough to have that money. So this is a great option there for those that really want to retain control. And that is the main focus of, of what they're trying to do. As the fund remains in the name of the people that set it up, unfortunately, if they have an inheritance tax liability on their estate, this money is also included in the estate and potentially is then subject to inheritance tax as well. Unlike a junior ISA, which we'll come on to in a moment, where the money belongs to the child, um, the money, as I've already stressed, always stays within the name of the people that set it up. That is a big advantage as we've already gone through, 
Potentially, it's also quite a negative as well. You, you might be quite happy to just let the children have that money at 18, and all you've really done is delay when, the, um, when, when that money goes across to them, you delay potentially an inheritance tax charge. So it does have its benefits, it does have its, its negatives as well, um, but it's, it, it's the first way of, of keeping control of that money. The second way, um, and probably one of the most common ways that we see when we give money to children, is to give them the money directly into a junior ISA, which is in the child or, or the grandchild's name. Now, as with normal ISAs, there are two types of, of junior ISA. The first is a cash uh, junior ISA, and the second is an investment junior ISA. As the name suggests, a cash ISA is held in cash, and an investment one is, is usually held in, in investment stocks, shares, bonds, etc. A parent has to set up the junior ISA. However, once it's set up, uh, a grandparent can contribute as well, so a parent or a grand grandparent. The money paid into the junior ISA does get classed as a gift for inheritance tax purposes. I'm not going to go through all the inheritance tax rules. There are other blogs that we've done um, and other podcasts that we've done that explain all of that to you. But very, very briefly here, each person can pay or can, can gift up to £3,000 per year into uh, or to, to a recipient. If they give more than that, even if it is into the junior ISA, potentially they could be inheritance tax payable uh, if they don't survive the seven years. And there is a limit on how much you can pay into a junior ISA. Because junior ISAs are very tax efficient, there is no tax on any growth, um, on any dividends or income that's, that, that's paid into it, and there's no tax when the children ultimately draw the money out at a later point. The limit on the amount you can invest is set at £9,000 for the current tax year. That has come up considerably over the last few years, but if you're looking to put more than £9,000 a year away for your, your child, your grandchildren, Yes, you may be able to use the junior ISA, but for more than that, you'd need to consider other options. Once the money has been invested into a junior ISA or into a cash junior ISA, the money ultimately belongs to that child. You as the person setting that up, you as the person gifting that money, no longer has any, any access to the funds. Once the child turns 18, the junior ISA automatically becomes a standard adult ISA. Um, at which point they have full access, full control to the money, meaning that they can withdraw part or all of that money should they wish to do so. For some, that is a problem. They don't like the idea of their child getting access to potentially quite a huge sum of money yeah. once they get to, to 18. On the flip side of that as well, the fact that they can't access it before 18 is also a problem for some um, in that if you're starting driving lessons at 17 or you want to look to use the money to pay for school fees, yeah. you can't do so because that money is not accessible until you're 18. The third way then is to save not in your own name, not in the child's name, but into a trust. Now, when it comes to trust, there are two broad options. We have spent a lot of time in previous podcasts talking about different types of trust, but very, very quickly here, you've got a bear trust or a discretionary trust. Bear trusts, sometimes known as absolute trust or fixed trusts, are the simplest type of trust. The settler will make a gift into the trust, which is held for the benefit of a specific person. So it may be for uh, mum and dad or grandparents putting money into the trust for the benefit of a single child. And they can set up multiple of these if there are multiple children. The gift potentially um, could still form part of the person's estate that gifted it. 
if you buy within the first seven years as we've gone through in the past the fund automatically as soon as it's in that trust will fall into the estate of the beneficiary of the child um, so potentially there you've got double taxation it's unlikely a child is going to have an estate over the inheritance tax threshold but it's in the whilst it's very very rare it can happen um, so that is something to consider when, when looking at this option here once the gift has been made into trust the the person that put it there has no access to that money at any point where this differs from the junior ISA quite significantly is that money can actually be gifted out of the trust pre-18. So we haven't got to wait until 18 for that child to have access to their funds, which using the previous example, if you wanted to use this towards some school fees, great, it's there, it's accessible. The big downside of this type of trust for many clients, however, is that at 18, just like the junior ISA, the child does have full access to that money. It is their money, they can do with it as they please. And as we've already said, not all 18 year olds are financially literate or, or mature enough to have potentially quite a huge sum of money yeah. given to them. The second type of trust is what we call a discretionary trust. Um, again, we've gone through this in the past, but effectively the discretionary trust doesn't have a set beneficiary. It usually has a class of beneficiaries. So it might be all my children or all my grandchildren. These trusts ultimately then give the, the, the trustees, usually the people that set it up, but it doesn't have to be, the trustees the discretion over who gets the benefits and when they get the benefits. Mm -hmm. So again, if you want to make sure that school fees can be paid before that, that child is 18, we can distribute the money out. But the big difference here is that once they get to 18, no one has an absolute claim to any money. So the trustees still get to control that money and if they feel that the child isn't mature enough, isn't financially literate enough to have that money, they can continue to hold that money within the trust until a point where they feel it's, it's right to hand that money over. Um, a discretionary trust also provides great protection from third parties. Now, not really a, an issue for the younger children, but as they age, if the money stays within a discretionary trust, um, if, you, if that person then declares bankruptcy, well, the creditors have, have no access to to the, the fund within the trust likewise if that that person is going through a divorce the the, the ex-partner has no access to the money within this trust either so ultimately it comes down to with all these options is simplicity versus control um, essentially when it comes to the trust the trade-off ultimately comes down to do you want something nice and simple that as soon as they're 18 they can have it yeah. Or do you want something that's a little bit more complex, probably a little bit less tax efficient, but you have a lot more control over that money? So yeah, so those are the four main options um, for parents and grandparents. There are others out there. So as always, if it is something you're thinking of, please come and speak to either ourselves at Howard Wright or our own regulated financial advisor. That's fantastic, Ash. I uh, really appreciate that explanation there. Um, could you just explain to our listeners how they can contact you or any of the other advisors at Howard Wright? Of course. So as always, if you want to contact myself or a Chartered Financial Planner here at Howard Wright, best ways to do that are to go on the website www.howardwright.co.uk and fill in the inquiry form or give us a call on 0345 688 Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. We hope you found it useful. Um, I've been Ashley Smith and I've been Tom Richards. If you're watching this on YouTube, please like and subscribe or share on your socials. And if you're listening to us on Apple Music or Spotify, please drop us a follow and leave us a review.
it really helps other people find the podcast, enabling them to know them any better and build stronger financial futures. Please also check out the How Right link tree for loads more tips, tricks, articles, videos, and podcasts just like this one. And most importantly, stay tuned for future episodes. This recording contains information from sources believed to be reliable, but no guarantee, warranty or representation express or implied is given to its accuracy. Howard Wright does not undertake any obligation to update or revise any future statements. Past performance is not a reliable indicator of future results. Investments can go down as well as up, and actual results could differ materially from those anticipated. This recording is for the information purposes only and has no regard to the specific investment objectives or financial situation of any individual. The information contained in this recording is not intended to constitute and should not be construed as investment or financial advice. Appropriate personalised advice should always be taken before entering into any transactions. No responsibility can be accepted for any loss arising from action taken or refrained from being taken based on this publication. Howard Wright is authorised and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority.